can I can tell Sean is a serious uh, um, esports racer there with the with the fancy wheel. I got the mm. I got the Logitech and it's and it's working out fine for me. But I'm I've been watching all these videos and I'm like I gotta spend thousands of dollars and upgrade my my sim racing experience. You don't have to. Um, you, right. you really don't have to. Like I I've been involved in simulation professionally for the better part of two decades now and really what this does over and above the logitech that you have it's just another level of immersion it's not making me it's not making me or anyone else any faster or slower really it will mm -hmm. make you more consistent mm -hmm. and it will also up the level of immersion that you feel for actually being in the vehicle that you're in like this right. direct drive wheel is it's astounding at what it does do i need it no <laughs> does anyone need it not really. You don't need it. Do you want right. it? Oh, hell yes. You definitely want it. <laughs> Without a doubt. And maybe we can talk about this in the show, but I started to get into iRacing, especially the, the dirt ovals on iRacing, um, just to help me better understand different conditions and like sliding yeah. um, in corners, coming out of the corners and things like that. And um, the season hasn't started yet, but I'm already assuming that I'm better prepared just because of all the iRacing even though it's completely different than the go-karts because the go-karts don't have suspensions and, and all right. that but yeah two two things um it's already in the show so yes it's, it's definitely gonna be a part of the show all right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh the second thing is yeah man it's it's definitely gonna pay dividends it, it will um the more time you spend behind the virtual steering wheel the more time you spend in that virtual seat it will pay dividends in the real world no matter what you're driving and it, it will pay dividends on, on so many levels like you, you know reading track conditions i racing got that really right i mean you can really see the line you can see it slick up in in certain areas of the track depending on where people are actually you know putting their wheels more if everybody's running down low the bottom of the track's going to go away if everybody's running in the middle the middle of the track's going to go away same thing yeah. for the cushion and like last night, I was actually running last night in a, uh, I think there were like 60 of us in street stocks. And uh, we had like D through A mains and oh, wow. three or four heats of eight cars each. And that's a whole night. It's, dude, it's epic. It's so <laughs> epic. It's so much fun. Um, and it, it pays dividends in the real world from everything from racecraft to reading the track to, you know, car control and that oversteer understeer or, or, you know, tight to, to push um, scenario where, you know, you're, you're actually feeling what the car's doing underneath you. And that is one thing that I will say, yes, this is better than, than the Logitech's or the entry level Thrustmasters. I mean, a direct drive wheel, is a whole other level and mm -hmm. i don't where are you at on the planet i'm in toledo ohio damn it you're too far away i was <laughs> gonna say if you're anywhere near you're welcome <laughs> to come by the lab anytime man um i know from driving the go-kart um in the, the i only participated in one actual race last year and and there was a couple of open practices where I, so i will say i have three different times out on the track and all three times it was completely exhausting because there's no power steering on the go-kart yeah. and you're really, really yeah. fighting it. And the, um, the way the go-karts 
uh, steering geometry works is you 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 turn left the the left tire the left front tire raises so it puts the weight on the other tires and so you're actually like manhandling this tiny little frame around the track oh and yeah there's weight jacking and ackerman and yeah yeah moving around in the seat to get the weight transfer right and yeah i would just come out uh, I, I would get out of the cart and i'm just next five minutes just trying to catch my breath and like the next day i would be so sore and so I do want to get one of those. I want to upgrade the steering wheel just so I'm getting a little bit more of that that feedback, that force feedback, and I'm fighting the steering wheel a little bit more. You can literally turn – this is a 20-newton meter wheel. You can turn the force feedback up on this wheel to the point where you will get an upper body workout. That's um, what I want. Like a, a proper <laughs> upper body workout. And there's enough power, in, and this is the DD1. They make a DD2 that I – I think this is 20-newton meters. I think the DD2 is 25-newton meters. Maybe might even be thirty. There, there are some out there like Augury, and some other direct drive wheels that literally go all the way up to thirty newton meters. The crazy thing about these things, though, if you're running that level of force feedback, and you know that you're getting ready to bend it, like if if you literally money the the, the cart or the car that you're in, you better be ready to take your hands off the wheel because oh. it it's enough force to it'll take a thumb off man i mean it wow it's that kind of power um and it's instantaneous like it literally it'll it'll jack you up man if you're not yeah and what is yours mounted to um ours is quarter inch quarter inch plate quarter inch aluminum plate i mean like i i mean i see the steering wheel in front of you what like do you um, I think you're you're green screened, so I, I can't see the scenario that you're in. Are you in a in a frame that you have? A, I, yeah, a, let me let me. Sh- I'll I'll show you. Hang on just a second. This is making for compelling podcasting, ladies I'll and gentlemen. Saying, well, 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 why why I'm already con- ruining the podcast. Well, no, why Sean's converting over to sh- uh, show the video, people? His uh, simulator. I'll say, welcome to no driving gloves. It's Sean. Will sitting in the corner, quiet. Obviously, John. And I'm going to probably mutilate your last name, David. I'm sorry. I've I'm heard you all the time. But David Pichuto. Am I close? Pretty um, close. P- Pichuto. <laughs> Pichuto. Um, he has a uh, podcast making it that I've listened to since I think I started, like episode 11. And, of course, listen to them all now. And you guys are, what, approaching 200, over 200. And David has a YouTube channel. Make something. And I've always considered restoration and people who build cars and that kind of makers so i've always listened to him and recently he's come into the car hobby and picked up go-karting and uh, as alluded to on some of his uh, youtube and uh, podcasts that he's getting a little bit more into cars you know he's mentioned a couple other youtube channels that are car things and that and i sent him a message and said hey why don't you come on the show we'll talk to somebody who's new to the car world because you know, between Sean, Will, and I, you're probably looking at 90 to 120 yeah. years of car experience. Disturbing, easy, easy, a disturbing easy. number of years of car experience. Yeah. And, and you know, David's kind of new to that. Plus, Sean's go-karted since he was, you know, a wee little lad. And Will builds cars and welds and that. And David's fa- actually, you bought a go-kart to run last year. You bought another one to improve on that. And then you decided to build one correctly yes you've correct? been you, you've been paying attention that is correct yeah <laughs> so 
Yeah. John's been cyber stalking you. That's all. <laughs> so there's a little of the whole premise of the show. So David's instructions was is to come on the show with questions and kind of quiz us. And then we'll get a little bit of feel for his take on the car hobby with some crazy car guys. And I think he jumped at the chance, but that's where we're at. Sean's got a picture of his simulator for those of you watching on uh, YouTube. When we switch back to Sean, it'll be oh, there. Oh yeah. And okay. Sean's serious. Yeah, yeah, let's well that's that's Sean's company. They make Yeah, we actually build those. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we actually build those. Um Nemesis Lab came came into to light about two years ago. And uh it's it basically came from we've been involved in, in simulation professionally for the better part of twenty years. Um and I have been very fortunate to be part owner of a couple software development houses that worked in the, the 3D world and physics development and sound design. So we built cars, tracks, textures, physics, physics development, sound development, um, all that good stuff. And then I got to uh, I got to consult for hardware companies over the years and got to the point where about two years ago I was like, if I'm ever going to build what I really want to build. I got to do it myself, which falls right in line with what you do, David. I mean, you, you, you make stuff. <laughs> so it's, it's absolutely perfect. And that literally what you see behind me is seven prototypes, you know, seven prototype designs and two, two years and four months of research and development. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you can relate to that on, on multiple levels with, with what you have built on your channels. Um, it, so yeah, it, it takes many iterations to get something right. That's it really cool. does, man. Like I, I can't tell you how many times do you, or how many times have you, this is a really good segue. Thanks for setting that up, John and, and David. Um, how many times have you over the course of the last season or season and a half that you've been racing and you're building your own cart now and you've, you've basically gone into, you know, the, the whole, uh, make stuff ethos that you, that you put together how many times have you gone back to the drawing board in just that year and a half? I, I think the answer is going to surprise you. I don't go back to the drawing board very often. Really? So, yeah. That, so, already surprised me. I'm shocked. <laughs> um, a lot of, so, a lot of times what happens is I'll get an idea, uh, especially for if I'm filming it for the YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, I'll draw it out to the point where I, I've been doing, I've been making, I've been doing woodworking and things like that for a few years now. So I have a pretty good idea on what's going to be successful. The only times I don't, I'm not 100% is when you, when you build, when you draw something up in the 3D world, um, you don't get an actual feel for how that piece is going to live in the real world. So sometimes I'll build the thing and then it'll function as it's supposed to, but it doesn't look right. So there's something about it. And, um, or the other way. Yeah. Or like, the other way. Yeah. Or, it's... or the other way. And with my, so doing YouTube videos is my career. And so if it doesn't come out right, that's it. I just move on to the next thing. And then hopefully that next project comes out. Right. So I don't go through the iterations of building something three or four or five times. It sounds like me now, cooking dinner, man. <laughs> yeah, you, you make a bad dinner, family's got to eat it. On to the next one. Yeah, on to the next one. Now, with the with the go-kart build, I have been, um, as as John mentioned, 
I bought uh, basically a race ready package last year so I could dive into it. And I I was like, this is, I'm going to clone this cart. I'm, I'm getting into metalworking. I want to do some fabrication, some um, tube bending and, and tube notching and all that. So, and then I realized like the cart that I had, the steering geometry wasn't the norm for the type of races that I do. And there was like this weight jacker built into it, which um, this car was probably from the late nineties, early two thousands. So things have changed since then. Yeah. And so I decided I'm going to sell this. I'm going to get a more modern cart with a more common steering ge- geometry. And then I will clone that. And uh, I'm not cloning this cart to sell. This is just for me. This is like a learning process for me. So when the season starts, I think it's actually going to start in June. We'll see how, you know, the world, yeah. Um, we are going to have some private practices, like an invite only type thing. And and um, so at, at a couple of the tracks. So that'll be fun. I'm looking forward to that in a couple of weeks. Um, but the actual season is supposed to start in June. But um, the, the go-kart that I'm going to start off racing is the one that I purchased because I want to, I want to get a feel for the cart to understand what I'm supposed to, um, what I'm supposed to feel and what I'm racing. When I get a better understanding of that, then I'm going to take the one that I built onto the track and see how that compares to the other one. And if mm-hmm. I can do the different setups and, and see if I can make it act like it's supposed to. And then I'm lucky enough to know some more experienced racers that they can hop in and say, yeah, this feels right, or this is totally off. But with a go-kart, I don't think it's going to be totally off because most of the most of the setup is in tire pressure and steering geometry and stuff. So I think I'm going to be okay. But this one, I'm hoping to run like the second half of the season with this one that I'm building. Maybe next year I build a better one. Now that I yeah. understand why the tube is bent this way and why it goes together this way, that I can continue building my own over the years i don't ever plan on building the cart for anybody else oh i i, I see a I see a go-kart chassis manufacturer coming. <laughs> I, will i've already have so many hobbies that this, i could not even there's no time to to do uh, work for other people two years from now we're gonna hear that we're gonna hear rob howden announcing it at well, a wka event the make something <laughs> card chassis seems to be right. the chassis of choice this year i i yeah. know the feeling all too well i mean people try to get us involved in so much crap all the time and you know saying no is really hard for me um but over the last five years i've learned to just you know stick with what i've spent 20 years building, you know, and mm-hmm. just keep, keep doing what I do. The, the, um, so for the people that don't know, my background is mostly woodworking. The most, I would say 90% of the stuff on my YouTube channel is woodworking. And that's the thing that I know and I'm comfortable with, but I've been getting into the metalworking and, and the, and the fabrication stuff. And, um, uh, if we want to, we can go into how and why I got into the go-kart racing. Um, I race on dirt ovals and, um, but, uh, um, the, one of the, the, the things that really drew me to go-kart racing was like all the making that is involved. So I am, I'm making my own chassis, which is pretty unusual in, in the circle, but a lot of people, um, have to make their own bodies or there's a, there's certain parts break and 
it's not like there's a go-kart store around the corner where you can go and get a new part that next day. And so uh, some people are fabricating their own pieces to, um, you know, to, to run throughout the season. And the making part of racing is what I actually love. I love, like today I'm working on the body. Um, I've, I've been bending plastic and, and uh, shaping body and, and I've got a coat of primer drying right now. And I just love that part. And I'm, I'm kind of worried that when I get finished making the go-kart, like I'm going to be bored with it. Like, oh, I'm just racing now and not making any parts anymore. But um, that's one of the things that I, I love about racing. And, that, and, and there's a lot of people in racing that don't have a shop and aren't making I – don't, I don't even know how you can be into racing and not be able to cut and weld and, and, and make the pieces that you need. It doesn't even make sense to me. I, I, I can tell you, you want to know how? <laughs> Sean's a lot like that. I'm, I'm like you, you, David, it's even like 3d printers and that if I, if I want a 3d printer, I want to buy kind of like a Prussia kit. So I put it together and understand yeah, you know, uh, what's going on. The, part. Yeah. What I'm, I made a mistake and I bought a, pre-built CNC for, for my wood shop. You know, that's, that's kind of my hobby. That's not my career. We're kind of opposite there. I bought a pre-built one and it's, and it's bothering me because now I'm seeing some of the new kit stuff coming out and I go, boy, I really wish I would have spent the money on a, what is it? A Shakepedo or an inventables machine just so that I know what the problems are. You know, I understand the issues that come with them, but if you know every piece and how everything works, it's so much better. And I think you know, you building a cart and things like that. Um, I was on one of the last episodes of MakerCast, the podcast that went away about three years ago. And part of the, the conversation was how car builders and restoration people are really the ultimate makers because one day I'm fabricating steel, a steel chassis, then I'm shaping aluminum, then you're 3D printing, and then you're working with fiberglass. You're doing all this various making. And when you race, you're going to, I think you'll find that you're going to figure out little things you can tweak and change. So it's going to, it's not going to be, oh, the cart's done. If mm -hmm. you fall in and you get the passion, you know, it's one reason I don't race is I don't make enough money because I want to win. You'll have the, <laughs> you'll have the ability to go, okay, I built everything. I want to go faster. I, if I, maybe I adjust this or move this wheel or, you know, adjust a camber setting or all these little things that you can adjust on the cart. First, you'll know how, how it was built to be able to do it and what pluses and minuses. So it could, you know, keep your interest on a totally different level. You oh, don't yeah. even see. Here's, yeah. here's what I want to go ahead and do, David. I want to go <laughs> ahead and book you for no driving gloves on, let's say May 7th, 2024. And we can talk about the uh, we can talk about the chassis manufacturing, body <laughs> manufacturing, and the uh, the national championship consultation that you're starting to give people. Because honestly, you have you have the makings of and the personality type for and the skill set to be a chassis manufacturer. You have that analytical side. I've seen it by going through your, your, your social channels on, on make something. I mean, and if you truly get it, like John said, if you truly get into motorsport, 
and Will brought this up too. If you get into motorsport, you are literally going to have people going, I got to have one of your chassis. <laughs> I, it's, it, it happens. I've seen yeah. it. I, I'm not kidding. I've been involved in this for 45 plus years now. You're going to get I, sucked in. <laughs> I, well, I mean, my family has been involved in racing my entire life. And um, like the ultimate dream, dream would be to race a sprint car. Like I, I just grew up around sprint cars. I was running them all the time. And um, just like at 44 years old, it's probably not going to happen unless I go to one of those sprint car racing schools down south. But oh, um, that would be a goal. Like if, you know, when we, when we book that show in 2024, uh, I, I would love to tell you about my chassis building business and uh, how I'm doing on the, with the world of outlaws. So yeah. it's coming. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm not, t- I'm, I'm not kidding. It's definitely, you're on that. You're, you're potentially on that progression. And, and, you know, I don't know how deep the, the racing bug has got you. Oh boy. But it seems he's going to be, he's going to be hanging out with Tony Stewart and Rico (laughs) and right. (laughs) He's just uh, across the state line. (laughs) Have you driven an out? Have you driven a winged outlaw cart? No. Oh, um, so the, I might get into the wing outlaw carts next year. So um, the, the circuit that I'm racing is the, the go-kart circuit that I'm racing now. Um, it's, it's technically a backyard circuit. So there's like seven, eight tracks and it's, they're actually in people's backyards. Yeah. 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 Uh, but it's, but it's like extremely organized. Like the race, the, the final yeah. race that I went into last year, there were 60 entries and then there was probably 200 people watching. So like that's, that's an extreme of, of the circuit that I'm racing. Cause that's like the big finale. Mm-hmm. But um, so the, the, the people that are running that circuit, um, one of them is my cousin who races sprint cars. He, um, he got an outlaw cart last year. And so he decided that, Hey, we're going to also start an outlaw cart circuit. And that one's starting this year but there's not that many people that um, have the carts to run. So um, this year is kind of a test season. And then next year they are going to do a full, um, a full season with the outlaw carts. And what I like about the outlaw carts, if you don't know, is they have a, a wing for downforce and for helping you cornering, but there's also a roll cage, a roll cage, which is a little bit more protective yep. than driving a regular go-kart. Oh, yeah, That's the them. thing that really appeals to me is the protection because you're going so fast. Yeah, the, right the now, 500cc versions of those things are manic. Yeah, yeah, it's manic. insane. So is uh, there's a there's a photo on my on my screen here. Is this uh-huh. a outlaw cart simulator? Yeah. Well, no, it's actually an outlaw simulator that we're developing right now. Oh, that's crazy. What's the I point just, of that? Just because it looks cool? Because it's freaking cool, Will. Yeah. <laughs> that, the wing the wing on a simulator is absolutely what it, I mean it in case people walk by you it helps the air go around you. Here's here's the thing. That that for someone who races World of Outlaws makes a lot of sense just because it's cool looking. Um the other side of it is at an experiential event. You know, at at a SEMA or a PRI or insert whatever show your brand is going to, 
Now imagine that on a proper yaw chassis on a, mm-hmm. on a yaw frame and you're sitting in the middle of PRI or SEMA. And every time you roll into a corner, this whole chassis yaws and the wings moving and it's, it just gets the crowd going. That's, that's really all it's for, but it, it looks cool. Well, and the gentleman that me, we're to me, it looks like the wings just kind of hovering up there. What it is gonna, right now. You're going to have it. You're going to have it hung from the ceiling by, no, I'm, by cords or it, it attaches to your helmet. It's oh, dude, there you go. Magnus. Hopefully, oh, hopefully there's some controls in the cockpit where you can actually move it forward and back a little bit. Don't like a, like a I can make all that work. Don't make me do it. I can Sean, simula- Sean simulators are modular. So this is an option package I'm sure he can throw in. You know, you get your uh, you know, race car and then you get your airplane because he'll have airplane wings you can add on and your uh, outlaw chassis with those wings. Oh, right behind me right now is our is our captain's chair Star Trek edition. Um, literally has two consoles, one on the left, one on the right, and it has uh, flight controls and and do really nerdy geeky stuff. <laughs> really nice nerdy geek. I love it. Yeah, you um, do. Yeah, well, we do. I, I with that at all. Yeah, but I, just, I was only showing you that just because we started talking about outlaw carts, and I was like, I got you. I, I, and you, you mentioned World of Outlaws. And the thing is, I mean, obviously an outlaw compared to a cart, totally different seating position. Mm-hmm. The wheel is rotated up. You know, it's almost like a school bus. Um, the, the pedal position is literally straight up and down like a cargo van. Um, that's the, the things that, that – are kind of cool to be able to train the simulator on because you go from that completely flat floor uh, feet straight out in front of you cart position to sitting in a cargo van with the the pedals are damn near up and down um, the gas and the brake and the steering wheel is all school bust up and you need to be able to get acclimated to that stuff and yeah it'll feel familiar to you yeah. once you hop into the real thing yeah yep totally totally it's I'm fascinated by by your transition into motorsport and you said you had a uh your family's been in racing you said for a long time so what yeah did you grow up around the racetrack did you grow up I around did. other forms of racing or i did so my uncle his name is johnny beaver and um in the ohio pennsylvania area he's probably pretty well known in, uh, especially like in the 80s and mm-hmm. maybe going into the 90s a little bit um lots of track champions um in in ohio and pennsylvania and in the early 80s he um he has uh he, he ran with the world of outlaws i think the outlaws started in maybe 78 or something so um my uncle john he raced for a living all, all my childhood he raced for a living so and my dad would take me to um there would be a race at a track called attica raceway park in in Ohio on Friday. And then there's another Fremont Speedway Raceway Park uh, in Fremont, Ohio on Saturday, and then another place in Finley and then uh, on Sunday. So sometimes we would go to three sprint car races in a weekend and I was I, I was all about it. So um, you go to a sprint car race, usually there's like three divisions. There's like street stocks, the 305, which is a sprint car, which is uh, they, mm-hmm. at, at that time they called it an Econo. So it was like the economy sprint car with the smaller engine um and then the the 410 sprints and when the street stocks were were out on on the track me and my buddies were all playing football um you know 
on the other side of the grandstand. But as soon as the sprint cars came on the track, we were all like totally into it. And so I grew up around my uncle John racing um, over his garage. And I just thought he was the coolest because people loved him because he was winning all the time. Or, or people also hated him because he was winning all the time. So I grew <laughs> it goes up. Both ways. <laughs> yeah, it goes, it goes both ways. So I, I just grew up around that. And then um, my uncle John, um, he doesn't race anymore, but he owns this um, fabrication shop, which basically repairs sprint cars. And he's one of the more well-known uh, places in the country. So they get people will haul their chassis from California to Ohio just so the Beavers will work on it because they, I, for whatever reason, um, they're the, they're the go-to for a chassis that gets into a wreck or bent or whatever they're great. I would say that out. reason is because they know what the hell they're doing. I mean, they've been, they've yeah. been, I mean, John's been in racing since the sixties. So it's, it's crazy. Um, and so now his son, my cousin, Tony, he races on um, sprint cars, but he doesn't, he doesn't do it for a living. His living is with the, the family shop of repairing cars for a while. They were making chassis, but they got out of that. The money is actually in repairing chassis. Yep. So, um, a lot less overhead. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. Like if you even though the season hasn't started yet, if you walk into their shop, there's probably 30 chassis just um, sitting butt end up, just stacked, waiting to be worked on. Like they're they're always backed up, and there there's always so much work for them to do for because they're the go-to people. So I grew up around sprint car racing. My father also loved NASCAR, so as a child, I loved NASCAR, and then something hit me like not something i got into music when i was like 17 or 18 like punk rock and i was like oh you can't like sports so i stopped watching football and baseball and and, and racing because it wasn't cool i had to uh, i was playing in bands and stuff and then something happened a few years ago i'm like oh yeah i used to love football and baseball and and racing so i've been getting back into it now like i'm you know i don't have that you can you can like punk rock and racing there's, there's room for both i was just ignorant for a good 20 you years. were hardcore punk rock <laughs> yeah yeah you're living the lifestyle and so my dad um he passed away like three he passed away three years ago but throughout my entire life he had been working on this 1967 chevy impala which he was rebuilding from from scratch and like you could eat off the engine it was so clean it was all painted and um just an absolute beautiful car so i grew up around cars and i grew up around racing but the truth is i don't know that much about cars like when my car doesn't start i just go to the dealership and trade it in and get a new one that's that's me i know so <laughs> little about cars but i'm a quick learner and my my family the the biebers that i was talking about they built my go-kart engine so it's basically the the class that I run in they call them a um, stock appearing clone class which is a Harbor Freight Predator yeah T12 engine um, so from the outside it has to look like a Predator T12 engine but the inside you can do whatever you want up until there's certain limits so there's on top of the hundred dollar price tag of that engine there's seven hundred dollars worth of parts and upgrades inside there. Um, so 
they built that engine for me. But next year, because I love learning stuff, I am going to learn how to build my own engine. And I'm I'm going to do that. Like I just this this it's the thing that I love about motorsports is there's so much making involved and there's like it just feels like there's an endless possibility of learning. And for what I do, I make content for a living. Like there's so many videos. Like I, I can as I'm learning, I can make these videos and, and share them with my audience. And it's just it's endless. And it's, it's the thing that's got me excited about making videos again, because you, if I've been doing woodworking for like, like a professional quote unquote YouTuber for five years now, and the woodworking kind of gets boring. So I'm, I'm glad that like there's this, this new thing that I'm into. And you won't let so anyone in your woodworking in channels hear this. Cause that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like and your podcast I... co-hosts. I mean, they, they yeah. aren't exclusively woodworkers anymore. They do everything. Jimmy being, you know, the guy that does everything in the world. So yeah, I think, I think what you're doing and how you're changing your channel for a guy like me, it works because I want to see you do different things. I do enjoy you when you go back and do a little bit of woodworking, <laughs> but I enjoy the, the other, you know, the other stuff that goes along with it just to see a different way of doing it or go, Oh no, he should do it this way. But I don't want to comment because I don't know how to comment and not be one of those trolls. So, <laughs> I, I, think like I, the... I think I did that to April way back when she was new. I said something and I keep saying that nah, she'll hate me forever. So, but <laughs> I remember um, like Mark Spagnolo, he is huge in the woodworking field. And before I was doing this for a living, I remember like making some snotty comments like that's not how this other person does it. You're doing it wrong. And, um, and so now as I receive those comments, I'm like, Oh, that's, that's cute. Oh, <laughs> what's cool though, is you get to take how, and I, I, the years and years of experience that you have doing what you've done with, with the make something and, and the woodworking side of things. And, seeing how that translates over to the vehicular side yeah. that the skill set that you built up and it's you're going to approach some things in in a methodical way that you would have done during the woodworking stuff yeah. in the cart racing and you're not even going to realize you did it it's <laughs> done seriously it's i've seen it happen time and time again and the cool thing about that is that's where that's where new ideas come from. That's where, that's where new technique, that's where um, just the melding of a particular skill set with a new skill set. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, why do we, do, why is that the way it's done when this makes so much more sense to me? And then if you can show that it does make sense and that it does right. actually work and then it does whatever, you know, whether it's saving money, saving time, making the cart faster, making the cart more reliable, making the car that, you know, it, it goes on and on from there. But the only reason I'm saying all that is I'm just going to go ahead and say again, welcome to the wonderful world of being a chassis. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I remember when I was um, first got into woodworking and one of the challenges is clamping because clamps are stupid expensive. And, and I mean, every tool is stupid expensive, but clamps aren't a sexy tool. Like you get a new table saw, that's the thing to get excited about. You get some new clamps, you're like, I just spent hundreds of dollars on a stupid thing that's going to sit in the drawer. You know, it's not even, it doesn't even look cool. But I remember, so when you don't have all those clamps, you get creative on different ways of holding pieces together or holding it to the bench. And 
I kind of miss that because after you do something for so long, you just become you 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 you're only in this bubble and you only know the proper woodworking ways to do something or to clamp something or to or to make that cut. And um so now that I'm experiencing with the metal fabrication stuff, like I don't know and I don't always go and research. I just like, oh, I need to cut this weird compound angle. This is how I would do it in the wood shop. Maybe this will apply here, you know, and, and um that's so exactly what that, yeah, it's exactly what I was saying. And you're definitely now, more now creative when you don't know. Clamps. Yeah, it's magnets instead of clamps. How many of those clamp like tools do you have in your shop, Will? I mean it's <laughs> thousands <laughs> my, my biggest my biggest drawer in my toolbox is i mean completely full to the realm of all sorts of clamps and vice grips and then one of my fab tables one whole end is nothing but clamps hanging off of it and that's just on the sheet metal fab side you go over to the machining fab side and i mean it's clamps 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 so so one of the uh so on the on the front end of the go-kart chassis it, uh, like most of it is flat and sits on a perfectly flat surface until you get up to where the spindles are and so it curves in to yep. make room for the tires but also goes up yep. so uh to, to level out when you have the the wheels on the chassis and so there's a compound curve in there and then you there's a there's a piece of tubing that runs between the two long rails i'm like i'm having a hard time like figuring out how to clamp this up and i'll get some magnets on there and it's barely holding and then as soon as i get the the welder up there it falls and it's frustrating <laughs> so i'm like okay I'm just going to go grab some two by fours and I'm going to cut the 30 degree angle here. And I'm going to cut a 60 degree angle here. And then I'm going to just clamp them to the pieces. And so I'm cutting all, I'm using all my woodworking tools and scraps to make jigs to hold the metal pieces. And I know it's not the right way, but it's working and it's getting me by and it's holding the pieces together. Tubing's the hardest material there are to clamp together and, and hold at the right angle and especially something like that. I know exactly what you're talking about where it curves inward, then it curves upward. And mm-hmm. um, what I'll go ahead and save you a little bit of trouble since Please. you're going to be a chassis manufacturer <laughs> one day. He doesn't you know, know it yet. Just, he really he just, doesn't realize it yet. Just, He's already there. <laughs> just go ahead and buy you a CNC tubing bender and you can bend all of that in one piece. Then you won't have to weld it together. A, a, a what? A CNC tubing bender? Yeah. Yeah, they make them. You just program in the bins and it bends this, it. And... This sounds a little out of my budget. <laughs> oh, you're a YouTuber. Y'all, y'all make billions of dollars, right? <laughs> you're going to. Uh, yeah, as I'm sitting <laughs> in my mansion. <laughs> one, of, one, of my, one of my good friends. One is, of uh, my mansions, yeah. One of, one of my good friends is a professional YouTuber, so I, I, I know. I mean, he's uh, these these kids that that go out and spend, you know, four hundred thousand dollars buying a grocery store. Um, you know, they they've got uh, it's not it's not the reality of making a living on YouTube. You know. Yeah, so. yeah, and plus, I don't have millions of subscribers, so right. like, like I am. 
I, I, I do pretty good. And then the YouTubing stuff allows me to explore new hobbies and stuff. But it's not like, uh, oh, I'm in my east wing of my of Mansion <laughs> B, you know. He's okay. a woodworker on YouTube, not a gamer on YouTube. Oh, yeah, exactly. Because of gamers. <laughs> I'm in my east wing of Mansion B. <laughs> I was going to say to you, though, but uh, my last job was at the Barber Museum down here in Birmingham, and it's the world's largest collection of motorcycles and largest collection of Lotus race cars and that. And I was on the car side of the museum doing restoration. We had a whole section of our shelving unit in the parts room that was nothing but wood scraps. And there's a complete woodworking um, shop there to build displays that we were in all the time. So even there, you know, in pro- kind of a professional world where we had a full CNC machine shop and, you know, a uh, five by 10 foot water jet table and plating machines and all of that, we're still using wood to jig things up and stack things, and, oh, yeah. you know, we do make it, it work. <laughs> we do it. We do it all the time. We, we make a lot of one-off trim of like half oval brass and stuff like that. We've got two by fours that are six foot long with a half oval you know, mm. rip down the middle of it and you, it'll sit flush in there and you can drill and, and everything else. So, Hey John, quick question, mute or don't mute. We were supposed to talk about that before the show. Oh, don't, don't mute. It's so much easier to edit. Is everybody there? <laughs> <laughs> so I've been, mu- actually, I have a glass of, there we go. I've been muting yeah. it. And drinking Cheers. It. That that was gin. We it used was. to have a rule against that, but um, I think last last uh, episode with uh, Courtney Hansen, we kind of put that to the win. <laughs> crunching Not ice, that she was the, the cause of it by, by any means. <laughs> oh, it's awesome. Uh, so awesome. I don't know whether you can see the background, but I had to bring up clamps just because that's all we were talking about. <laughs> that's all that's clamps. What is what is clamps from? Futurama. Okay. Okay. I'm uh, I'm so addicted to that show, man. I'm I've only seen a few episodes. Like I've had so I'm I I'll I'll get into a show and I really love a show and but animated series I have a hard time connecting to. Everybody everybody loves The Simpsons. I'm like yeah, I love I like The Simpsons. I don't love The Simpsons. I like and then, The Simpsons, but I love Futurama. Yeah. And he, even South Park. I mean, we're all we're all at the age where when we were a lot younger, South Park was the thing to watch. And yeah, I, I never did. I never I just had a hard time to, connecting with it. You yeah. don't realize and whoever thought Beavis and Butthead would be telling true stories. <laughs> it got even more I, true when he went yeah. out and did Idiocracy. Good Lord, I was always out in the shop. So I was always on a motorcycle or a bike literally like when I was, when I was young, young, but when I was young, young, that was before the Simpsons. It was was well and truly before then. When I was in, when I was in high school was when South park was huge. And I mean, I was out in the shop working on a race car. You were nothing but a youngin. Good Lord. I, I feel as the elder statesman of the podcast, <laughs> I feel as though I need to talk about the times before South Park. I thought he was uh, going to say it. I need to quit. <laughs> Let's talk about Bugs Bunny. Remember Bugs <laughs> Bunny? Um, 
Yeah, it's, it's, I go to a whole different level though. And David recommended devs the other day on the podcast. Oh man. Um, yeah, thanks. <laughs> that was, uh, if you guys it, haven't watched, yeah, if you haven't watched devs, uh, what is devs? I'm, I'm completely and totally lost. It, on that it's one. on, it's Nick Offerman. And, oh, and he's my, he's my and guy. think of him as I'm going to loosely say Steve jobs. And mm-hmm. after that, I can't really tell you anything else. Otherwise, I'll probably destroy the show. Oh, so it's like software development and stuff. Yeah. Or, but dark. But, but dark. dark. Okay, cool. I yeah. consider this... It's on Hulu, right? This is kind of my yes. Nick Offerman starter kit. Like, it's, <laughs> You're there. You're halfway yeah. there. Yeah. Not um, even close to Nick and devs, though. <laughs> yeah, Nick has long... I'm, clo- I'm closer to Nick. <laughs> Damn, that's awesome. So, okay. John, what is the um, what is the the open wheel what, derby car or whatever? What's in what's behind you in your in your image there? Um, I try to do an image that kind of relates to each show anymore, ah, and usually it comes okay. off of a Pixabay, and that's just a wooden um, toy race car. And it's then a of Mercedes, course I, uh, but it's got the yeah. Ferrari red, so I'm a little confused. Yeah. Well, it's to keep you guessing. It's children. <laughs> I really wanted to do a picture of, uh, I had a Pinewood Derby car and there's not a chance you'll know what it is. And Will and uh, Sean will roll their eyes, but it's a little Dodge Rampage and it looked just like a Rampage. And it's a little, that's like an El Camino type pickup that Dodge built. You I, made just couldn't, a... I couldn't find it to, to put it in the background. But I knew you had an unholy Rampage <laughs> obsession, but I had no idea that it went that deep. Yep, I had mm. little red cool. rampage, and it was even cut with the proper raised headlights. And I'll find there's, it one day, and it'll show up. There is a good segue into oh, uh, into that's the, okay. I had to Google image search for rampage. Ramp, yeah. Now I'm like, <laughs> it's like uh, now he's like, oh yeah, that's the wow. Dodge version yeah, of the El Camino. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it, we, we it can not, tie hey, David. Does it not scream punk rock? It does scream punk rock. Yeah, it, does, it, it definitely does. Yeah, I mean, I would have no problem driving around in a Dodge Rampage, especially like yeah. bright, bright green. It's got the right name too, you know. I mean, yeah. Mm. Let's spin this over into Roblox. Let's spin this over into another Viviani obsession. Eighty-four Azuzus. We talked about what's, what's the, the the wood the wooden toy car that you is it Roblox? What's the Automoblox? Automoblox. There you go. Do you are you familiar with Automoblox, David? And have no. you built any wooden vehicular toys? As soon as you look up Automoblox, you're going to be like, "Ooh, I'm going to the shop." We're literally going to like wrap the show up, and David's going to be out there going, "I'm making stuff." They look super cool. They are very cool. They oh, were goodness. really cool when they came out, but John's a little pretentious. And <laughs> so am I. <laughs> and they, they had the the most gorgeous packaging when they first came out. And it was like unwrapping this, you know, wonderful watch or timepiece. But then they decided to go to retail shelves and toy stores. And when they did that, all these government regulations came into play on safety oh. warnings and how they had to be packaged. And the packaging just became no more than a shoebox. And mm. I just, I kind of stopped buying them then. But I've got a pretty good collection of them. I don't think I've put them out on display, though, since I moved. I was looking forward to putting them in my new office, which I may or may not do now. But 
How many of those I'm things do you have? Glad you brought this into my world. These are beautiful. They are really cool. And all the parts it, are interchangeable and you can, you know, you is can. Is there a community them. of people who customize them? And, and I, I would have to imagine. Back when I was into them, I haven't really played, played with them for three or four years. There was a lot of online stuff and Automoblocks was really in tune and really paid attention to the consumer. And even when the packaging changed, the reason I know what I know is they, we communicated with 10 or 15 emails about it and they were going to try to continue the other packaging for mail order and that all went away and then they got bought out. And like I said, I, I tuned them out, went somewhere else, but they are very, you know, you can buy wheel and tire sets for them and change the colors of the wheel tires and different wheels. And, you know, I got a bunch of them somewhere. All right, David, uh, woodworked carts, woodworked okay. carting toys in the, in, the, in the vein of what you're looking at right now. There's your chassis manufacturing gig. Go. <laughs> <laughs> so the, um, as I was drawing up, I'm, I'm basically cloning a, a cart that I already purchased that somebody else already did all the science and research. And, but for my own amusement, I drew it up in Fusion 360 so I'd have this model. I'm like, well, I have this model of the chassis. I might as well 3D print it. And I'm, I suck at 3D printing. And I tried like three times and it never worked out. I, there's 3D printing is a whole uh, – that, if you want to get into it, you can't just start today and you'll be a great 3D printer. Like there's, there's lots of things you have to learn. And it never came we can out. do that for you. We can make that happen. We can make it a reality. <laughs> All, everything behind me right now is Fusion 360. Oh man, yeah. So I have a lot to learn, and that's another. That's, an, that's another thing is, uh, you know, there's the the software side of designing all of this and i have a graphic design background it's what i went to school for so i love the computer part of everything just as much as the actual physical putting pieces together it's that's half the fun man i mean yeah. it's the journey that we've been on in, on the r&d i'm sure is is very similar to to the journey that you've been on david with the with the cart and i don't want to speak for john or will but i do want your response to this isn't the build the build is more than half the fun to me? Like the the research oh, yeah. and development path that we've gone down to to get to where we are with what you're seeing behind me right now. That journey's been an absolute blast, man. Like going through the prototypes and do you do you get that well when you're when you're going from from concept to paper to actual you know out in the shop and and forming stuff out of metal is, is that what you love or is it oh the, yeah absolutely yeah. um that's you know that's that's why i do it it's it's not you know riding around in it when you get done but i mean don't get me wrong that's that's so that's fun. pretty cool that's too. the reward yeah right that's the reward um where you know your reward hopefully is making money i'm making money <laughs> as I'm building it where you're spending all your money <laughs> while you're building it. <laughs> so, I mean, I could see more in, in, in your instance, Sean, where, you know, I enjoy making, I enjoy making money too. I'm not going to lie. I, I don't I, think there's many people. Um, that don't. So <laughs> right. I would enjoy once I got finished and it took off and, 
and then I started making a bunch of money. That oh, would don't be, get me wrong. We're looking forward to that, as that I'm would, sure everyone That on would this be podcast. pretty enjoyable, too. But, yeah. you know, fortunate for me, I'm making money as I'm producing right. my product. When, and then the cool thing about that's even better. Once it's finished for the customer, the customer lets me have it for a couple of years to go show it. So that, I can't. I get to wear the new off of it and then give it to the customer. I mean, I got the best of both worlds, right? That part of the hot rod world has always blown my mind. And I'm not sure how you guys have built that into the industry, but you said a couple of years. Yes. It's insane. Yeah. Totally insane. Yeah. You pretty much, you've got, you've got, it, what depends on when you debut your car. So we we like debuting cars either really really early in the year or or late 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 in the year. So to us in in the hot rod industry, SEMA is day one mm-hmm. of of the year. So when you're talking to a car guy and they say this year, well that's between November and November. <laughs> um, so if you debut a car at SEMA. You know, you got SEMA, and then you generally take it back to your shop and get it ready to do the outdoor show thing. Good guys, NSRA, stuff like that. So you've got a year to do that. Well, after a year of doing good guys, then you then you can have a year or so of hitting smaller shows, ISCA shows, and stuff like that. So, you know, if you've got a really big car, you can get two years out of it. Wow. So now well after after that, it's 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 not gonna win anymore. It's 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 done. So yeah. yeah, now Will builds on the very high end of the the industry. Um you know, there's some cars I think he builds and then they just go away and he never sees them again. But that's it's even like in restoration. Sometimes, you know, we'll take three or four years to do a restoration. And the most fun to me in a restoration is researching and figuring out what was correct. And I always did, you know, factory original Concours type restoration. So everything was exactly the way it quote came from the factory and, and researching and figuring out how to make those parts or where to acquire those parts. And, you know, you do 90% of the work and you have 10% left and that's really that 90% of the work again because that's the hardest stuff and the stuff you put off. And then you, when you're done, you get to take the car and show it for the, the client. Sometimes they'll keep it at their house, but more often than not, every show you take it to during that first year, you find something that needs right. to be tweaked or adjusted or tweaked. So it's always coming back to the shop that, and right. you get to play with it for a year and then you give it back to the client and then they have it for a few years and then it ends up at Barrett Jackson or something. And how you start over again. That's exactly how we've like Sean alluded to how we've worked that in. It's the shakedown process. It's, it's getting it ready. So when you deliver that car, it's done. They're not going to have any problems with it. You know, all the wires sorted because you know, we're building these cars with either one off machine handmade parts or aftermarket parts and everybody i'm sure has dealt with aftermarket electronics they suck you know there are some out there that are that are actually pretty good but you get a hold of the wrong company that that doesn't have good 
electronics, man, they it, it can be your worst enemy. Um, and you know, like 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 you know, David's building his his go kart. You know, a lot of times we'll build a one off chassis and we'll get totally creative and try to come up with some crazy ass suspension so the you know the coilovers are cantilevered up into the trunk floor and you see them through the hat rack and you know all sorts of crazy goofy crap and on paper it works great just <laughs> you know on cat it works great but in reality it it rides like a horse and buggy and sucks ass so <laughs> you know i mean there's um and there's no second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth renditions. You got to get it right the first time. If not, right, it's 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 money out of your pocket. I, uh, John mentioned the uh, the research involved into restoring something. So I was born in 1975. My parents got divorced in I think 77, and my dad's lawyer suggested like go buy yourself a nice car and work on that just to keep you busy or whatever. So he bought this 67 Chevy Impala. And so throughout the eighties, I remember my dad fixing this up and it started off as um, all original parts and restoring it to, it, it wasn't an SS. So it was just restoring it to its original condition. And back then that was super hard. Like he got these weird catalogs from some like, junkyard in kansas city to <laughs> another place in california and then you actually have to call them on the phone to see if they had the tail light that you need or whatever right and so it was a lot of work it wasn't just typing in like i need a 1967 blah 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 and like it would just show up at your door two days later so there was a lot of work in there and then he blew the engine i think i'm not a car guy so i think the original engine for an impala was a 305 and then he ended up putting a 350 in there and so it was no longer original and so then it was like open game so then he started adding the ss package stuff to it and then it was like contacting more junkyards throughout the country and on the telephone all the time and getting these weird homemade catalogs that people would make in in, in the mail and uh it was just of I think the joy of it was not knowing if you were going to get the part back then to restore it. And like you got, you didn't, you couldn't email a photo. So if you're getting a new taillight or a new bumper or something, you know, sent across the country to get rechromed or whatever, it was like you were just crossing your fingers, hoping it would come back in the condition that you were hoping to get. And um, so that was fun. He, uh, and that, if I can tell you a, a terrible car story, um, so this 1967 Impala was his baby. Like he had been working on this, you know, all my life. When I was 15 years old, my buddy Brian Smith, he is a sprint car driver and he has been for like the last 30 years. Um, but he, uh, he was coming over to shoot pool in our garage. And the, I was 15, my dad was at work, and I backed out that Impala so many times, like dozens of times to play pool so it wouldn't get hurt. I was allowed to back out the Impala. But this one particular day, I hit the, the side of the garage backing it up. Instead of oh, oh, just oh, oh. just stopping, I kept going. So I ruined the entire rear quarter panel of this car. And I was so embarrassed. So I did not tell Brian. 
that it happened. We just played pool. And then before my dad was supposed to come home from work, I shoot him off and said, you have to go back home. And my dad, he comes home and, uh, and, and I was like, dad, I hit the garage with a car. He didn't even look at it. He just didn't say a word. He just walked into the house. Now he is known for being like a hothead. He would explode. And I was just, I was so worried. And he had this reaction that I didn't know how to react to because he didn't say a word. He just went into the house. So I, I don't know what to do. So I'm like doing yard work and, or whatever. He comes out like 30 minutes later and he finally looks at it and it's just like, well, insurance will cover it. We'll get it fixed. And I was like, what? That was not the reaction. Decades later, talking to him, he told me that he went into the house to have a beer to calm down before he was <laughs> looking at the car. Of course he did. So, but that that turned into another project for him. He, you know, he bonded it up and he primered it and he was going to get it repainted and that became a whole thing. But he never ever got it painted. It had this strip of primer going along the entire recorder panel. And it's still on there. My brother or my my uncle own, owns the car now. He got it when my father passed away. And so that accident has been haunting me for like 25 <laughs> years or whenever that was back in 1992. <laughs> I just want my uncle to get that car painted so I don't ever have to see that primer spot anymore. But yeah. It's a horrible reminder, isn't it? Just, it is uh, a horrible what, reminder. What, yeah. what color is it? It's white. It's white with a black vinyl top. It did oh, not have a black vinyl top, but he added that. That's easy. Just just go to a local body shop and say, "Hey, look, you know, tell your uncle you're going to pay to have it done, and you know, he probably get it fixed for a thousand bucks." No, see, so I mean, you of all people should be like, you don't just get that painted; you get the whole car painted, and then on those classic cars, they do the inside of the door and the floor and everything. Oh it's yeah. A, thirty thousand dollar thing and my uncle was going to do it you, you less i mean it's probably less than thirty thousand dollars but it's above twenty thousand dollars for sure our, and, our, um, our paint job started 50. okay okay so it's it's an expensive thing and um my uncle's going to get it done he's just not ready to put that yeah. amount of money into it because if you put a thirty thousand dollar paint job on a car the car it's mind blowing. The car is still only worth like fifteen thousand dollars, right? Or whatever. Like I cannot believe um, a nineteen sixty seven Chevy Impala that is absolutely beautiful is only worth fifteen or twenty thousand dollars. Is whatever it, it is. is it a four door? It's a two door. It's worth more than that. Yeah. Well, there was the the appraisal when when my father passed away and 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 we. We distributed all the some of the bigger things to everybody. That's I think it was I think it came out to fifteen thousand yeah, dollars in the appraisal. So I don't know. That's they, that's they hit that's, it. That's uh, just a uh, 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 a running driving car. Yeah, you know, I mean, not one that somebody has restored. I think you're probably even even if it's just the quarter panel that needs to be painted. That's which John is a lot more familiar with this than I am. I, you know, I'm thinking that's about half of what it's probably worth. Um, I was thinking, you know, if it's a good restoration and that the the appraiser, de- I I do a lot of appraisals, David, uh, probably deducted for that quarter panel. 
um, and probably undervalued it for the estate taxes. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they would have applied yeah. to you. I don't know what the, the situation would have been. Uh, but, you know, appraisal numbers can get fudged to benefit buyer, seller, insurance company. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. owner. So I would probably say that's probably a low to mid-20s car without seeing it. If it's running, driving, functional, and, you know, 15 grand, 10 to 15 is going to buy you one that, runs but is beat up in that so there there's oh. it might be worth spending the three or four hundred dollars for your uncle and getting it re- reappraised so it's properly insured and in my Ooh. typical thing if you go back two or three episodes we do an interview with uh adam martin uh it's adam martin insuring your lifestyle and ironically will and i went to college with this guy also he used to be a vice president at Haggerty and he now owns his own independent agency but we had him on the show a couple weeks ago to discuss collector car insurance and insuring collector cars and protecting yourself in that and we didn't quite touch on that what we just discussed but I think I think there's a little I think he can probably get a little bit better insurance on it especially when you're going for you know, an insurance appraisal will be a lot more than an estate value appraisal. It's right. really yeah, I didn't funny, think but, about that. but yeah, so I don't, I don't think I'd be insuring off that previous appraisal, hmm. but I uh, might have but, to have a conversation with uncle Paul then. But with what you said though, I always have said in, you know, my restoration career and I go back to, you know, mid nineties restoring cars and getting a paycheck for doing it. If you get 20 cents on the dollar for your restoration, so if you put 100 grand in and you get 20, you won the game. Uh, Very rarely will you see more than a 20 or 25% return on your money unless you're doing blue chip collectibles. It's, you know, every restoration's 2,000 hours in a shop. And most shops are going to be 80 to $120 an hour. So split the middle. You got two hundred grand in labor before you buy any parts to do a restoration. Doesn't matter if it's a Duesenberg or a fifty-five Chevy pickup. It's that much money. So that that's the reality, which I'm sure you didn't want to know, but that's the reality of the situation. <laughs> and you don't have to give Will fifty grand to paint a car. White's an easy color to match, and you might be able right. to do it without having to redo the car. If- because your problem is if you repaint the entire car. All of a sudden, the interior is going to look dated. The undercarriage is going to look dated. The engine compartment looks, and it's, oh, well, then now we need to do this. You're better off fixing the one area and getting it as good as it can be and, you know, and and living and enjoying it. And that's what we always preach on this show is enjoy your car. Don't have it for an investment don't try to make money on it if it puts a smile on your face every time you drive it yeah you've won the game That's really such a good attitude yeah and then you'll have money left over to buy a simulator <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why i'd say that you know but I just... <laughs> then you can drive anything you want anywhere you want anytime you exactly want. yeah and then when you wreck it you just hit escape and you get yeah, a new car yeah yeah. It's it's amazing how that works. Request new car. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's it's amazing how iRacing has that uh they have that down, man. 
You you bent it. Mm-hmm. I, I I bent uh street stock. I I bent the street stock last night to the point where it it basically just ripped the whole front end off the car, <laughs> and it was like, okay, cool. I'm I'm still in the next heat. We're good to go. Yeah. No. No. Didn't cost me anything. Yeah, it's an interesting interesting uh, reality, especially when you're in VR, because sometimes in VR it's like. That felt real. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I just got Simulation is not reality. It's simulation. <laughs> so put one of these on your head. I got I got and then one come back those. and talk to me. It's I, still not reality. It's not, but it feels insane, dude. When you've been a car in VR, if it it'll scare you. It I really just will. got a VR headset for iRacing last week. And the first time I used it, after ten minutes, it felt like I was drunk and not a good drunk. Yeah. It was just like it was like an hour after that of like I don't Motion feel sick. right. Yeah. And the second time was a little bit better. I haven't done the third time yet. It is so when you're in it, it is really, really cool to turn your head left and right and to actually it it it's a different experience. I'm hoping that every time I use it I can I can race a little bit longer and use it because it's you so have cool, to. You have to but do it, it really more messes often. with my brain. Yeah, you have to do it more often. Um, when you start feeling that twinge of motion sick, stop immediately. Don't try to okay. drive through it. You can't drive through it. It literally once it starts messing with your inner ear, get out of that environment as quickly as you can. Walk away, and and let things settle. But if you're already getting ten minutes in in the VR, um chances are you're going to be fine and it literally is building up a tolerance to it it's just like anything else it's you you use it you push up against that that window of oh this this isn't good pull it off walk away feel better come back use it again use it again use it. like i i got that when i first started with vr and now i can literally live in vr man i i mm. the other night i was uh actually last night i was uh Spotting for a friend of mine that is racing in the uh, the iRacing Road to Pro uh, Gander Mountain Series. We were at the Charlotte Road Course, the Charlotte Roval. I was spotting in VR, standing up st- and in chopper view. So we're literally like the chopper is following Kyle around oh, the weird. road course. Yeah, <laughs> I'm floating above the car in <laughs> VR, and I God-like. am like. Um, it's amazing. Like it's, it's just an amazing experience. And then you, you turn around and you can see 360 degrees and one-to-one scale. And, and, but you typically, when you first get into VR, you, you've got to build your legs underneath you, man. Like if you tried that right now, I can almost guarantee that there would be a very, very sick David. <laughs> I mean, it's, mm. it, it's, you got to build, build your seat time. Um, All right. But once you get it, man, the, the only thing that really gets me now is if I am behind the wheel in VR and I loop it and I start going backwards while I'm driving because you literally you spin the car around and you're still sitting here and your brain is saying that you should be backing up. But your visual your visuals are, are different than it separates from your inner ear and your brain. And that doesn't make you happy. It's got to, it's got to be that feeling when you're, you're sitting in a parking lot and you have your foot on the brake and the car left or right of you starts backing up, but you yes. think you are moving. It's probably it's, one of those. It's experience. that times a thousand. 
Like, okay. it, and it's it's so it gets me so fast. I go from zero to. I mean, it's it it happens so quickly, man. But that, don't yeah. loop it. Well, you know, you gotta push up against that ten tenths every once in a while. If you don't push up against it, you don't know where it is. You gotta loop it every once in a while, Will. I loop, got, I loop my go-kart about every lap. There you go. You, I mean, you, <laughs> if you're autocrossing and you don't ever hit a cone, you're not trying hard enough. That's, that's there how you go. Ow. It's like everybody that I used to know when I was racing motocross, we'd have people come out all the time. I haven't wrecked in four years. <laughs> you're not going fast enough. <laughs> you're not doing something right. You're not trying. <clears throat> well, I'm going to be the party pooper like I always am. Um, I hope. I've had a great conversation with you, David. If you notice on Sean's kind of left there where my mouse is, he's got a picture of my studio behind him. That's a wood whisperer mouse pad. So that goes back to your Mark Spagnolo reference. Ah, nice. <laughs> um, but I was just going to say, you know, we've been going at it for probably about an hour 10 now. We only asked you for an hour and for, try to be respectful of time. Um, I'm going to say thanks for coming on the show. I hope it was a good experience for you. It gave you an outlet to kind of really let the go-karting loose. And, uh, um, you know, I don't know if you feel comfortable doing it on your other media platforms yet, but it's, you know, been good to have you. If you have any other questions, feel free to ask. We're, we're here until we fall asleep, but. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. It was, it's, it's, uh, um, it was good to talk about something other than woodworking for a change. So it was, it was great. Like I'm totally new to this. And so I, I have that, that bug. I'm super excited. And uh, yeah. So thank well, you for having when, me. I, when I you get into it. chassis manufacturing and you oh, want to do a podcast on it, you can give us a call. I'm sure one of us will. Uh, call. <laughs> <laughs> it's inevitable. You might as well go ahead and just embrace it. It's oh. you're, you're, you're walking that path, man. And, if you want, add me on uh, add me on iRacing. Uh, add me in in your my races on iRacing, and uh, all right, you know, we'll hook up. And if you've got any karting questions going forward, if I don't have the answer, I know folks that do. Um, all right, I'm in class D, but I don't deserve to be there. I will. Dude, I literally, that. I mean, I have I have a personal account, and I have the, the our Nemesis Lab account, which is our our commercial. We can use it at trade shows type thing. Mm-hmm. Our Nemesis Lab accounts all rookie because I've never I've never taken the time to build it up, man. Mm-hmm. I I literally like if I'm racing and I racing, it's either in a special event on my personal account, like 24 Hours of Lamar or something like that, with the teams that I race with, or I run hosted stuff. I literally like I I, I don't have the time rising through the I racing ranks and yeah. leveling up and getting your i rating up that's a full time gig man it but really is it really is and i i just don't have the time to do it I, I totally understand where you're coming from but you do want to get out of d into c as quickly as you can and then that opens up a lot more dirt opportunities for you so if there's anything we can do like john said if there's anything i can do to help you out when it comes to the racing side of it um and the i racing side of it you know just let us know that's you bet. thank you i appreciate it yeah man no problem at all no problem at all. Anyone that I can actually hook into <laughs> into racing deeper, I'll, I'll yeah. Just just what I need a a fifteenth and sixteenth hobby. I am yeah. an enabler. Sean's <laughs> got um, many many years of uh, driver instruction with Porsche, Aston Martin, Dodge SRT, wow. and all of that. So he's 
he, he's when it comes to racing, he is an enabler. I've only done a couple Aston programs, but the Porsche and the and the SRT stuff and the FCA stuff, yeah, that was that was years of my life. So, um, let me know. Let me know how I can help. All right, and, thank uh, you guys. Let me know how I can help, and then uh, you know, let me know when I can come drive some cool stuff. Because <laughs> I am the guy that literally all I want to do is drive and teach people how to drive faster and 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 learn how to drive faster myself. Like I literally, I I have enough mechanical aptitude to fix stuff that breaks, but I don't want to be the guy that builds the whole car. I want to be the guy that helps to make the car better. And mm. I, I'm I I get more pleasure from being behind the wheel than I do turning the wrench, which. I don't think the other three people on this podcast right now. I don't. I don't necessarily think that you guys fall in that category. I'm weird. I'm driving. Uh, I, I want to be behind the wheel too. I want to build it and drive it. Well, yeah. I was yeah. driving a. I was driving a six forty drag car when I was seventeen years old. Yeah, I, I want to go fast. Yeah, but you get a you get a lot <laughs> more pleasure out of turning the wrench than I do. Like well, I just, I'm. I'm sorry you feel that way. Do you not? Um, well, to me. No, I, 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 I consider that the the lazy man's way. It you is. Know, you don't want to build it. You just want to go enjoy. You're damn it. right. I want to pound on it. You know. I yeah, just, you, I am you right there. Break, with... You want to break somebody else's hard work. <laughs> yeah, I do. You know. Yeah, I do. And uh, and you're not going to be there to help them fix no, it. No, I will totally be there to help them fix it. What well, that hey, is wrong. That gonna, is wrong. You're going to be the wrench guy. Hey, hand me a wrench. If, yeah, if that's what needs to, Get me a beer. Needs to happen, I don't mind doing that at all. I just, <laughs> I am not the, I'm not the first guy under the car and I'm, I'm not the guy that you want like setting gear lash. I, I don't know enough about that aspect, but I do know about chassis dynamics and aero balance and, uh, you know, corner weighting a car and, and those things. Sure. I'll jump in and, and I'll go to town on, but you don't want me setting up your rear end. That would be a bad, bad thing. Um, unless you want the, you know, your, your 48 amazing, you know, Detroit locker or whatever X track. That yeah, you have okay. under the car I'm going to say, we get the feeling Sean doesn't like wrenching on cars. No, I'm, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, thank you again, David. Um, I'm going to, I was, go. I was really, I was supposed to have my first race on Sunday, the third, and then we had this podcast on the sixth. And I was really hoping, like, I could tell you about the first race of the season, and we can we could talk about that. But uh, um, things are weird right now, and um, hopefully in June we can actually start racing. So, well, maybe I'll send, shoot you an email in June, and we'll have you on to tell us about that first race. <laughs> All right, All right. <laughs> it's 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 funny. Um, man, I just bought scales. I'm like scales cost just as much as the used cart package that I bought. Like it's it's insane, but I know it's going to really help me with understanding what setup is doing and have comparing you read, NB before and after the race. Yeah. Have you read the book um, Chassis Dynamics by Herb Adams? You do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was going to pull it up. Oh, no, no, I have not read that book. No. And say that's one of the best race car chassis engineering books um, to read. Herb passed away a few years ago, so it's it's some dated information, but that's kind of a bible for the, setting but, up cars. But, but the science doesn't change, though, right? Nope. No, technology yeah. technology changes, but the science definitely doesn't. Yeah. Physics yeah. has a way of being stubborn. <laughs> And from a driver's yeah. side, get everything that Ross Bentley has ever published. 
Even Say that again. Get Ross. everything that Ross Bentley. Okay. Speed Secrets. Um, he's a lot of his stuff is tailored to open wheel aero dependent, but even at that, it's kind of the same thing that, that what John was just saying. It even though it's tailored to open wheel and aero dependent stuff, especially a lot of his early stuff because he he was an IndyCar guy. Um, but it still relates to whatever you're doing behind the wheel, whatever you're doing, you know, in whatever vehicle that you happen to be racing. It's very relatable. And, and Ross is an absolute institution when it comes to driver development, driver training, and uh, just the way that he puts things and the way he illustrates things, next level stuff. All right. I uh, I have that bookmarked. Um, John, what was the chassis book that you recommended? Um, I think it's called Chassis Engineering or Chassis Dynamics, but Herb Adams is, is put Chassis Herb Adams, and that'll come up for you, I believe. Got it. Thank you. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, well, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks again. Uh, thanks maybe we'll talk on, to man. you in a month or two. <laughs> yeah, we'll do. A, we should. We should do a follow up at it, um, mid season or after season, and just to see what I've learned. Because um, I know, like. And the one competitive race that I was at, all I was doing was fighting the cart. And I wasn't understanding what it was telling me. Where the other drivers would be like, well, is it is it pushing in the entry? Is it do, doing this in the, in, in the exit? And I was like, what are you talking about? All I know is like, I'm super sore and out of breath just from trying to drive the thing. So I'm going to have a better understanding. And this this will be the training season and you'll start to, yeah. you know, if once you get a good car under you, they drive themselves. And then it's, that's what, that's, that's what, I, that's what my family is telling me. It's supposed to drive itself. It's supposed to be effortless. So it's we'll, not supposed we'll to be really difficult to go fast. And if it is difficult to go fast, you've got set up work to do. Yeah. And yep. yeah, yeah, it's and the other side of it is seat time, seat time, seat time, seat time. Every, That's just what everybody it, tells me. Yep. Yeah. Is, I can read all the books that I want, but it's yeah. it's actual actual seat time. And don't forget to get your eyes up and look way out in front of the cart where you want the cart to go, not where the cart is. That's one of the things I've actually learned from my racing. That is like yep. don't look where you're at, look where you want to be. I think and we we had Randy Popes on a couple of episodes again. Also, he's a world famous racer, all kinds of stuff, and that's one of the key things. I think I even pulled it out for a, a clip. You know, look where you want to go. You know, look where you're going. So, if you go back and listen to one of our episodes, that might be a good one to give some driver tips. Yeah, hey, who was who was the guy that we interviewed that has the uh, Indy cars? Was that is that Russ? As the Indy cars we did, um, or the the old F one cars, the Ferrari F one. Oh, car. that's that's Bud Bud Moller. Bud, dude, you need to you need to hear this, dude. You need to go back and listen to that podcast with Bud. Bud Bud what? Moller M O L L E R. Okay, he's, he's, he's a, I'm super into I'm super into F one, so that episode might uh, he, he's might a be home for me. He's an investment banker. Um, lives in uh, Virginia, and he owned uh, Rubens Barrichello's like 2001-2002 F1 car. He's got a 78 Ferrari F1 car. Uh, he sold Rubens's car now, and he's looking for something else. He hasn't replaced it, but he's 60 years old, 
and he holds the lap record at like five tracks in that hmm. F1 car. And I mean, he's got a neck that looks like most football players and that, but um, he, he's, he's an interesting fellow also. He was hmm. telling a story and my, my mind just got blown <laughs> of, I don't know what racetrack they were at, but it was a long straightaway and it had like a hairpin at the end of it. And he was like, yeah, I've braked so hard right there that the sweat and tears hit the inside of my helmet. And I was like, wow. That, I've, I've, thought, I've thought I've been in a car with good brakes. Yeah. No. No, yeah. no, 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 Five That's plus the F1 racers have for. those huge necks, all those crazy G-forces. Oh, yeah. So that's that's a pretty good that's a that was a pretty good podcast there on that with Russ. I would check that out. I can't even imagine what that feels like. Five G's of braking load, like it would literally turn me to spaghetti instantly. I'd be oh yeah, like I'd hit the brakes yeah. one time and be like, yeah, I think I'm done. I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm done. I think we can go back. I mean, the think and of hang the, out for a little while. Think of the balls it takes to be going that fast and hit the brakes that hard before you have to turn right. <laughs> Or hit a wall. <laughs> Those yeah, are just, balls. It's just a wall. <laughs> yeah, and you're in an F1 car with nothing around you. Yeah. Yeah. Are you sure you don't want to stay on the show for another two, three hours, David? I mean, we you're can, not. You're we not can. in some little carbon fiber simulator. What are you trying to say? I love busting your nuts. About I know. It's fun. <laughs> If I, if, I, if I may walk away from uh, uh, one suggestion for your listeners and for you guys, uh, if you have Amazon Prime, there's a 30-minute episode on there, and it's called F1 Racing Science, and it is the episode that got me into F1 racing because all of the teams make their own cars like down to the bolt the uh, the engines are purchased from whoever they're racing for the clutches are purchased but the bodies the bolts everything else they make in house it's like a maker's fantasy so um it is crazy the amount of science and technology that goes into an f1 car oh yeah i'll watch that yeah, they're they're a little insane with their budgets and stuff, but uh, they're trying to put bigger caps on it to make it more competitive yeah. in, in the future. So hopefully they do. I like watching F one just because I, I like to see the new rule set for for you know what what are the changes that are going to be made for the following season, and then try to guess how much faster the engineers are going to figure out how to make the cars when the rule set mandates 15% less downforce and 20% less tire width and 42% less wing surface. And they do all this stuff in the rules to try to slow them down. And then the engineers are like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> engineers are like, no, so much we got so that they even have rules on how much time they can spend in the wind tunnels. Yep. It doesn't matter though. It's crazy. It's uh, it, they limit them in the wind tunnels, and then they break out the uh, the FE, FEA software, and they literally yeah. spend all the how, extra how time. How long have you been into F1 racing, David? Only a year. Only okay. a year. But I'm back. I'm so 
So I I've I've bought I I I I bought the F1 TV package so I can go back and watch all the old races and I have Try and remember was it 2010 or 2012 when Team Lotus became Caterham and they tried to cheat the rules by running they didn't have a last year's car or something. Oh, this is what happened. I remember because we had one at the museum. Lotus built, they started their team in like 2010 and they decided they would create, and this is in Danny Behar and he's a crazy CEO, spent way too much money. They would create a road going F1 or a customer F1 car. It was 680 horsepower as opposed to a thousand horsepower or 900 horsepower like the full cars. But they were not Formula One cars, but they were built almost aero spec and body spec. They called them the T125 and sold them to customers. Um, They only built like six of them or so. And the reason they created that whole program is they could do all this testing on regulated for their actual Formula One car. (laughs) That's just, you know, one of those little... And that's a thing with Lotus. If you really, really got into it, Colin Chapman, who founded the company and passed away in 83 in that, was one of the famous people that always said, and it's kind of the common rule in racing now, the rules just tell you what you can't do. They don't tell you what you can. (laughs) But we'll leave on that. We've already went 15 minutes longer than my first goodbye. So (laughs) Thank you, guys. Thanks, thanks, Dave. See you, David. Thanks for coming out. Appreciate it. Thank you.